My name is Angela Cox and I am the Mindset Mentor and this is the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. Now my aim is to discover and share the secrets of success. You'll hear engaging and uplifting interviews with business leaders at the top of their game, all primed to deliver bucketfuls of value and inspiration. We'll bring practical tips, success strategies and golden nuggets of motivation to help you unleash your absolute potential. Now, please do like, share and leave a review if you love this podcast. It really does help others to find us. Thanks for listening and let's jump in now and meet this week's fabulous guest. My guest today is John Ainsworth. Now, this is a long job title, so bear with me. It shows how big his job is. He is the Global Head of Operations Business Transformation Services at Atos. There's another bit as well, but it was so long, I've missed it off. Now, he's got 30 years experience in financial services. You'd never know it because he still looks really young. He's got an MBA from Warwick Business School, which I'm told by many is the place to get your MBA from. And I can't wait to ask him about this because he's also got a diploma in life coaching. So that's exciting. And I find that brilliant. Now, John and I worked together quite a few years ago, probably three, four years ago now. I went in and did some consulting at Atos and we got on like a house on fire. I just love him. And we should have been doing this podcast months ago, but COVID put pay to us getting together in London. So we're here over Zoom. John is up in Scotland. I'm in Bedfordshire. John, it's just a joy to see you again after all this time. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you, Angela. It is great to see you. And it's great to be able to take some time out to do something fun like this as well. Yeah, and you've had a busy morning already, I know, but you've just shown me the view from your window and it's not a bad view, that is it? No, I'm very lucky. I moved to Scotland four years ago and there's worse places to work from home than looking out over the Persia Hills. And actually, believe it or not, Angela, today it is not raining and it's not grey skies. Sunshine in Scotland. Winning. It is. So it's so lovely to see you. And we should have got together in London back in May, shouldn't we? We had that planned in. And now we have to do it virtually, but it's all good. Your face is smiling over the Zoom, as you always are. And I want you to smile a little bit more now because we're going to have what I call the shake your pom-poms moment, which is all about you being your own cheerleader. And actually, for once, celebrating your own successes. So I'd love to hear your three proudest moments, if you can tell us all about them. Yeah, so what a question. I think it's something I find difficult is to talk about my own successes or own achievements and and, and so on. But having given it some thought, my proudest moment, you mentioned on it, it's interlinked with a number of things. You mentioned about Warwick University. I never thought I'd go to university. I left school at the age of 16. If it didn't involve a ball at school, I wasn't particularly interested. And all I wanted to do was to get out of school and go and earn money and earn myself a living. So then to have left school at 16 and to now find myself doing what I'm doing, having also gained 
further education through employment, but also through you know, some extra courses I've done myself and development I've done for myself. I think actually to be able to just sit and look back at what I've achieved, where I live, the family that I've got, and what I do for a living and how that enables me to help others would be one of them. The second one was through my role with Atos, I was approached to go on the board of Blackpool Pride of Place. And Blackpool Pride of Place is a group of very, very well-connected individuals other than myself who are trying to make Blackpool great again. And Blackpool, if you don't know it, has the eight most deprived wards in the UK. And so I've spent time supporting the community in Blackpool, being able to help with making Blackpool great again, being able to help with some of the deprivation and the poverty that exists. And only last week, Blackpool secured £40 million worth of investment from the UK government for its town plan for investment. So there's an awful lot of people that have done a lot more than me in achieving that. But I have played a small part, and it does mean a lot to me to be able to give something back. And that's a community where my employer, Atos, does employ quite a big population on the Filed Coast. Mm. So that would be something else. The other thing is that I'd be most proud of is the fact that my mother, who's no longer with us, and my father, who doesn't give praise lightly, would both say that they're very proud of their son. And it did take probably about 30 years of my life for my dad to actually say that to me. Mm -hmm. So when that happened, that was great because it was something that he probably didn't know, but it's something I strive to hear. Do you know what, John? You're not on your own there. I work with people all week long, and often it is the praise from parents that people are waiting for. And the fact that you've been able to get that, even though it's taken all of those years, is amazing. Yeah, it was worth waiting for, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it's important, isn't it? And I'm guessing you probably make an effort to praise your kids about the things that they do. Yeah, well, you try and learn through your own experiences. Mm. And also, I think the world's changed a lot. The world that they're growing up in has changed a lot. So I think it's important that you try and take those lessons and develop your children, praise your children, encourage your children as much as you can, whilst making lots of mistakes along the way, because there is no guidebook to it. Oh, if only there was a guidebook. Yeah. <laughs> And even then it wouldn't be correct, would it? Because they're no. all little individuals and we have to treat them as different individuals themselves. Now, it's interesting here when you talk about that first pom-pom moment and you ended that by saying it gives you the ability to help other people. And that was one of the things that I noticed about you in terms of you being a really connected leader and actually really caring about the people that work for you. And that was evident. And I'd like to kind of dig into it a little bit more because. At Atos now, you've been there about five years, and it seems like I see a promotion every six to 12 months coming up on LinkedIn. I mean, you've literally, you were in at a senior level anyway, but your career there has just gone crazy. So tell me a little bit more about how that's worked at Atos and what that's meant for you. As you said, I've spent 30 years in financial services, and that has been primarily in the high street banks. and. When I look back now, I just didn't fit in. And we're going to Atos is the best thing I've ever done. 
in my career. And I do fit in. And it's a very, very different culture. So why didn't I fit in? Well, I don't want to be derogatory to people who employed me previously, but I don't think that my opinions were appreciated in the high street banks. I think that you are expected to carry out the duties that are set for you by others. Whereas in the environment that I now work in, you are actively encouraged, in fact, required to have an opinion. It's not a place for shrinking violets, but you also need to match your words with your actions. So you need to deliver on the things that you talk about and deliver on the promises that you make. And that's something that has just just works for me. It's something that motivates me. It's something that you know, gets me out of bed in the morning and makes me want to do a great job. But it's just the environment and culture that suits me. And I've been able to be a success by delivering on the things that need to be delivered. And how did you find your voice then? So going from that quite constrained environment where it wasn't welcome to then having the freedom, how did you find the courage to do that? Well, I think the thing when I say I didn't, fit in in the other environment is because I didn't, I mean, you know me, Angela, I don't necessarily follow all the rules. <laughs> Never. <laughs> and play, play by all the rules. Now, that doesn't mean I'm a maverick for anyone who's listening to this, but it does mean that if I believe something's right, you know, I have very strong values and I'm very true to myself and very true to the people who work for me. And so I didn't need to find my voice. I had my voice. The difference was it was appreciated rather than not appreciated. It was people who I worked for saw it as an asset rather than a threat. And people that I worked for wanted to encourage it rather than suppress it. Mm, nice. It's a great position to be in. And, and as a result, you flourished. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I have robust conversations with senior management where I work now because, you know, if I say something that's total rubbish, They'll tell me it doesn't mean I go around just saying what I want to say. It just means that actually, if you think there's a better way to do something, you're not scared to say it. And actually, I think that the more important thing is not about being able to say it, but the fact it's listened to and acted upon. So I used to say it where I worked before, but it wasn't listened to and acted upon. Where I work now, if it's of value, because, you know, some of them, let's be honest about this, some of the ideas I have are not worth listening to or acting <laughs> upon. But if they are, you know, they are listened to and acted upon or, you know, you're given the green light to go and do it. And that's actually, for example, that's how we first met. It is. Was that I bought your consultancy company into Atos. And that was something that a lot of people had a lot of questions about. But it was listened to, it was agreed and acted upon, and then we delivered. And that relationship still very much alive with Atos and that consultancy company five years later. Only I've exited. Yeah, the quality of consultant has improved greatly. I can imagine that it has. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I want to understand how you foster that culture in the grassroots of the business. Because as you said, you've got people in Blackpool, you've got people up in Scotland. How do you encourage them to speak up and you know, present their ideas? Really good question. I think be visible. A word that I use probably far too much, but I think it's really important is to be transparent. Um, to you know, people ask me a question 
I always say, don't ask me a question unless you want to hear the answer, because you might not like the answer, but you will have an answer. Hopefully, most of the time, people like the answer, but it's true. And, And that goes for town hall meetings, small groups of colleagues getting them together to talk to you about what's in their mind. I mean, COVID has been a classic example. I will always put myself there, you know, to take the punches, for want of a phrase. So I ran, you know, when COVID first started and the impact on the workforce and the impact on people, and everyone was very concerned when we first went into lockdown. You know, I think leadership's about being visible. And obviously in this day and age today, visible isn't about necessarily being stood in front of them, but it's about communicating with them, holding calls with all management calls, all team calls, and being able to take the questions and to be able to give honest answers and also to be able to find solutions for people. You know, I'd like to think that it creates a degree of fellowship. Something, you know, going back to your first question about what else I'm proud of, I'm proud that I can pick up the phone to people who've worked for me before and they want to work for me again. And there are people who work for me now who've worked for me in previous roles. And I think that's important because that means that people value Mm. that relationship when they work with you before. Yeah. And what you're saying about this idea that, you know, you can ask a question, you might not like the answer, but what you're demonstrating is you're showing the workings out as to why that decision has been made. And that's missing so often in these organizations. Yeah, it's explaining the why behind something. Mm. And why is a decision being made? How does that impact the people? You know, an example was that we were encouraging staff to take holiday in lockdown when no one can go on holiday. Yeah. And some staff were not happy about that at all. But then just being able to explain why. Why from a company point of view? Why for an employee well-being point of view? Why for you know, the fact that we can't, no one knows where this situation will end? You can't have everyone saying, right, you now owe me a year's holiday. Yeah. You've got customers to serve. Customer demand went through the roof on one of the businesses that I'm responsible for as a result of some decisions that were made in COVID. And so actually, you know, being able to explain why to people, most people then accept it. And actually, even if they don't really want it, they accept it and they understand and they, they move on. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. And it's a lesson that lots of people can learn. And we talk about lessons learned on this podcast because, John, I like to get under the skin of the leader and, you know, really focus on the inner game. So what are some of the lessons that you've learned over the years and how has that shaped you, do you think? I've got a few scars, Angela. So there's definitely some lessons learned. And I got my first managerial position at the age of 21. I remember customers asking me if I was the manager or the YTS, because for those younger people listening to this, if there are any, YTS was a youth training scheme. And I did look pretty young as a 21-year-old. I always got ID checked when I went to the pub. So where's the lesson learned in that is I was managing people that had a lot more life experience than me. I was managing people that were you know, they had their own value sets. They had their own reasons why they came to work, what they wanted to get out of coming to work. And I just didn't get it. I thought everyone needed to be like me. If they weren't like me, it wasn't me that was wrong. It was them. And I had to learn an awful lot about taking people with you 
And then through all of that was where my passion for developing people came. Because what I did then through a relationship with a guy who was a trainer, a facilitator, etc., I realized the impact you could have on people's lives by being able to develop people. And I started by copying. And then it becomes something that you become more natural at and you learn your own skills and your own ways and you see the things that work and don't work. And I got enormous satisfaction out of helping people develop. And that was people, it didn't matter what their life experience was. It didn't matter what age they were. And it didn't matter what age I was. You know, a lot of it is about listening and asking the right questions and getting people to self-analyze and understand their own makeup and their own processes to be able to, to develop themselves. But yeah, there was some, probably some people at the start of that who would count themselves as guinea pigs because they came off worse whilst I was going through that live experiment of learning how to manage people. So that would be one. The other one is that if in doubt, kick it out. Oh, I like this. What does this mean? Whenever I've hired someone, when I finished the interview and thought, I'm really not sure, but they're the best person that I've got, it's always gone wrong. Okay. Always gone wrong. And so what's the lesson in there is it's better to take a bit longer making the right decision than make the wrong decision and live to regret it and all the pain that that then brings to your business, to you to the people who work for that person, Mm -hmm. uh, to them as well, because you've then put them in a role where they end up not being successful. And I don't think anyone deliberately sets out to be unsuccessful. So yeah, if in doubt, kick it out. (laughs) Don't go ahead. And that was this phrase, by the way, that I learned when I first made lending decisions. So if in doubt of making the loan, kick it out, because if you ever made the loan, when you weren't sure, you shouldn't. it always went wrong. And it's the same with hiring. And did you have to collect it afterwards? Yeah, if you lent it, you had to get it back. It's amazing to think that as a late teenager, early 20s, I'd you know, be walking around knocking doors of high-rise flats yes. in city centre areas all on my own, trying to ask people for where's your loan repayment. But again... Would I want my children to do it? No. (laughs) Did I learn so much Mm. about life, about communication, about selling? Because actually the purest form of selling is getting something back. I learned so much. I mean, it was a brilliant grounding. But yeah, Yeah. frightening when you think back about it. Oh, and I share that with you because that was part of my career as well. But so much fun at the same time. What you're saying there with this, if in doubt, kick it out, it's almost like don't settle. Yeah. And that's applicable in real life too, isn't it? Outside of work. So many people rush into relationships or, you know, friendships or whatever, and are settling for second best rather than oh. waiting for what's right. Even outside of people, it's like purchases. Mm. You know, when I was younger, I used to, to buy things and then within a very, very short period of time think, why did I, why buy, did that? I buy that? <laughs> compulsive buying you know and it's exactly the same because you did have doubts at the time but it just for whatever reason you did it so yeah it applies to an awful lot of things but at the same time you can't procrastinate that's the opposite Mm. side of it yeah so 
there's lots of pressures in life, you know, so there's a reason why you make that hiring decision. You can't procrastinate. You can't just say, oh, well, it's got to fit every single perfect box before you say yes to something. So it's a balance. Yeah, I like that word balance. So what you're saying ahead of that then about this developing people, is this where the life coaching thing came in? Because I am fascinated as to what drove you to go and do a diploma in life coaching. So not many people know what I'm about to say. Oh, go on. You're sharing it with quite a few people, John. No, I, I get that, but I think that's okay. Well, lots of things happened. My mother died suddenly. I was trying to sell a house that wouldn't sell. I was living in another place, trying to change job. I'd taken a voluntary redundancy from work. And I was in a new job and working really hard. And the, uh, and the wheels fell off. And I had a bit of a mental health episode for a period of about three months. And this was back in 2006, seven around then. And when I was off work, because I was off work for a period of time, I, being the kind of person I am, I needed to understand why what was happening to me was happening. I needed to gain acceptance for it, and mm. I needed to learn how to manage it and to deal with it, and I needed to make myself better. And whilst GPs are fantastic, they've only got a small amount of time for you, and they can't answer everything to the degree that I needed to understand. So as typical me, I threw myself into self-development and self-development around understanding around stress and how the body reacts and how you can manage that around mindset, around how you, you, know, how you deal with different things, neuro-linguistic programming, cognitive behavioral therapies, and read a lot, did some courses. They're not all on my CV or my profile where you've got these things from, but actually I also did a diploma in life coaching. And why I did it was I needed something to do. I needed to occupy myself and I needed to occupy my mind. I needed to learn. I wanted to learn. And also it was something that I could apply to myself. So by actually learning the skills to be a life coach, I could life coach myself and coach myself. And also, you know, they're transferable skills. They transfer mm -hmm. into the workplace. There are many people, and I, when I say many, you know, let's, let's be fair, because otherwise it might sound really arrogant or something. There are more than 10 people, but so a small number still, who I know would say that actually I made a difference to their life. Not, but I know them through work. And that's through actually applying those kind of skills with challenges that they faced in their life that were, you know, very, very difficult for them. And so I helped myself and I've been able to help others through it as well. And I mean, it's just lovely to hear you talk about this so honestly, because the dialogue that we hear in corporates is moving more and more towards understanding and being accepting of mental health challenges. But I remember having lunch with you and we're probably going back two or three years now and talking to you about my wheels falling off in the same circumstance and not getting the reaction from you that I got from most people, which was that kind of, oh, don't talk to me about that. 
you were really interested and shared some of your story with me at the same time. So I'm really keen to understand how you handle mental health challenges now in your organization and how you support people through them based on your own experience. Well, it's interesting because the colleague of mine who hired me to Atos will always recall that when he interviewed me, he asked me how I deal with stress and what I do outside of work. And I told him that I did meditation. And he will always remember it because it's not the kind of thing that many people say at an interview. And I, I only started doing meditation after that experience that I'd had. And so actually being able to talk about these things is helpful to others. Whose problem is it that if people think less of you because of something that's happened in your past, that actually has made you a better person, made you a stronger person, made you understand it yourself better, understand situations that others go through, and so you can relate more to them. And only this week, I rang up a colleague at work in Atos, who I, I was off on holiday the week before last. And when I came back to work, they weren't in work because their mother had died. And I rang them up when I heard that they could come back into work. In that conversation, they told me that I'm the only person they'd answered the phone to since coming back to work. This person doesn't work for me. It's someone who supports a certain aspect of my business. You know, you build a relationship with that way. So I was touched that I was the only person they'd answered the phone to. But actually, I spent 25 minutes talking to them explaining the situation, the experience that I'd had. And that made them, I believe, you know, can't be certain, but, you know, comfortable to talk to me about how they felt and so on. And I'd like to think it just made a little bit of difference to that person. The call ended with me saying to them, you know, reach out to me if you, you know, you're having a a tough day, give me a shout because I know what it's like. So I think just being a decent person like that, is important. But I also think that we're also busy that sometimes we walk past people who need help as well. Mm. And not because we choose not to, but because we don't notice it. Or because they're not willing to show. Yeah. And you mentioned meditation as one of the ways that you handle personal stress. What else do you do? Well, so my life revolves around my children. And so Prior to COVID, I'd be staying away from home in hotels at least three nights a week. But actually to the children, it would be four nights a week away from home because the time, the day that I got home, it'd be after their bedtime, etc. So the time I had with them is precious and spending family time with them at weekends. So I can be seen quite often standing by the side of a equestrian arena, watching my daughter learning to horse ride and she's very very good at it or ferrying my other daughter backwards and forwards to gymnastics clubs and encouraging her with her gymnastics and you know being fortunate to be able to provide opportunities for them to experience things in their life that enables them to find the things that they're passionate about Mm. and things that give them pleasure so that would be where I spend a lot of my time. 
we got ourselves a dog. Yeah. Started. What kind? So I have a Cavapoo. Uh, <laughs> uh, so the ultimate guard dog, not. Lots uh, of grooming. Yeah, lots of grooming. But <laughs> yeah, so getting out and walking in uh, the countryside around here with the dog and the family. But also just, you know, sometimes I can find that it might be good for me to go for a walk after being sat at the desk working at home all day, but I haven't got the motivation to do it. But the dog helps you find the motivation because you know that the dog needs walking. So that's really good for you as well and really good for me. So, yeah. And I'm now going to say something that really makes me sound like I'm getting old. I I like being in the garden. Oh, do you? Gardening? Yeah. You used to hate it. <laughs> you used to hate it. But I think what I like more is when the garden looks nice rather than yeah. actually doing the gardening. But yeah, or perhaps it's another lockdown thing, that it's another of these things that you, you haven't got that many choices, so you go and do it. But life is small at the moment, isn't it? So, you know, the kind of little joys that we can find yeah. are just in the environment that we're in every day. Absolutely. And I suppose it is. It's finding things that occupy you, then you actually find enjoyment out of it. They might not have been your first choice. And actually, you like the end result. That's key. I think what you've just said about, you know, you like the outcome. What's the end result? Focusing on that in order to get the motivation is the key ingredient. We grew lots of vegetables this year. You and everyone else on the planet, it feels like. Yeah. But also the kids' enjoyment. They planted them, they dug them up, they scrubbed them clean, etc. And then they ate them. And so actually, it's great for them as well. See, COVID has been horrible on so many levels, but there are so many blessings to it as well in terms of that connectivity with other people that when you're busy, 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 isn't quite the same. Yeah, I'd agree with that. My relationships with my children are stronger than they were before COVID. They're different. Because I'm more involved in their everyday life, their everyday successes, their everyday challenges. And, you know, basically, I'm more present. Mm. It's lush. It's lush. And you're very relaxed as well, John. I'm getting this vibe. Even though your emails are pinging every few minutes. Yeah, it just goes to show my inbox is never empty. You're very, very busy, man. Very busy, man. Now, we're at the five-second game rule part of the show now, where I put you under pressure. To give me three answers to a question in five seconds. So you don't need your pen because you won't have time to write it down. It's like a radio show. I tell you it is. Are you ready for this challenge? Okay. In the five second game rule, I would love you to give me three words that describe you. Driven. Honest. Transparent. Oh, love that. Like authenticity in a bubble. That's you. And let's do another one. So in the five-second game rule, can you give me three things that make you happy? My family, playing sport, holidays. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, holidays. Can't do many of those at the moment, but, you know, we can look forward. But I did get away to John O'Groats two weeks ago. Oh, nice. Yeah, a place that not many people will have been to. But yeah, that was fantastic. A week of isolation in John O'Groats. Wow. Staying in a wood cabin. It was brilliant. And you wouldn't have chosen that probably. Would never have done it. All these opportunities. Yeah, really good. Now, are you ready for the big question? 
Yes. So this is the one that we ask everybody on the podcast and everybody gives us different answers, which I love. So I'd really love to know from John Ainsworth perspective, what is the absolute secret to success? What a question. I think it's be yourself. Be honest with yourself and with others. Try and find what you're good at and what you enjoy, because they're normally the same thing, but not always. And then I think that the biggest one for me is being able to get the best out of people. So I'm not the most intelligent person. I'm not the most well-educated person. I'm not the best at anything. But one thing I think I'm okay at and pretty good at is getting the right people around me. So employing people to do, you know, in roles that they're good at, that they succeed in, and they end up making you look better than you really are. I love it. So what we've got in there then is authenticity, which is just you all over. We've got purpose, we've got passion, and we've got connecting with and developing other people. Yeah. Marvellous. That was far clearer put than I put it. Well, that's my job, John. That's my job. You know what? We have gone well over the 30 minutes that we allocate to the podcast, but it was inevitable, you know, because we haven't seen each other for ages. Let's hope some people have stayed listening to the very end. I am sure they will, because you're thoroughly engaging. Thank you. It has been an absolute pleasure to catch up. I love your honesty. You know, I love that you don't wear any masks at all. What we see is what we get, and it makes such a difference. I I, I think we have one one mask. What mask? The face mask that we all should be wearing. Obvs, yeah, obvs. (laughs) (laughs) And the sanitizer as well. Of course. Missed that one. Oh, so slow. (laughs) Thank you very, very much indeed. It has been a pleasure. And let's not leave it so long until we chat again. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks for the opportunity. And it was great to see you. Great to talk to you. I do hope that you enjoyed listening to the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. If you did, be sure to check out the show notes to access all of those important links. For more about me, visit my website at www.angela-cox.co.uk. Now, I'd really love it if you could subscribe to our channel so that you never miss an episode. And do leave us a five-star review because it really helps us to get noticed. Bye for now. I do hope that you'll tune in next week and take good care.